Okay, so last week, oh, it's right here. I don't need to print it out. Okay. Um, last week, what we spoke about was this question, what is greater, the day of rain or the day of Trias HaMesim? Now, it was a fascinating question on many levels, not to mention that right here in this Brach of Shemona Esrei, it's kind of like about rain and about Trias HaMesim, so it was pretty relevant. And Rabbi Abahu said, which one is greater? And he said, the day of the rain is greater. And it was a little hard to understand why the day of the rain is greater. And we looked back, and I suggested that perhaps this, it's talking about a very specific day of the rain, which is the creation of man, which is the day that the rains were created. Not just any day of rain, but the, the day of the rain, which is the very first rain, which was the day that Adam was created. And that's when the vegetation began to grow. So this, there was, there's some kind of, and I think I said, I'm, I'm not sure what the connection is. I actually heard a shear that helps explain why it should be that the vegetation would grow at the same time that man is created and why that would be through rain. But what we did see last week was that they are intertwined and that what was necessary was for man to be there recognizing that there is need. And through recognizing that there's a need for rain, he'll daven for rain and the rain will come. So that was pretty much the, the basic topic last week. Recognizing need and then working both physically and also with tefillah for it. So it turns out, I heard now, um, first of all, I want, I, it occurred to me afterward, you know, we have this word me'od, and me'od refers to uvechol me'odecha in Shema, your effort, your midos, meaning the personality tools you've been given. Um, it can mean your money. It means your physical, what you have physically to work with mm-hmm. in your avoda. And me'od, when it, the Torah says God saw all that he created and it was tov me'od, that's specifically after the creation of man. And yet over there it seems to be referring to death and the Yetzir Hara. So how come in one place, okay? <laughs> and it occurred to me that this aid, this mist, is really the same root as me'od. It's like a, a root of a root, right? Aid is olive dalid, that mist. So... I think that possibly what's going on here is that same concept of man being needed to work the land and to pray for the rain. That there are these two parts. There's the physical work we have to do, and there's the spiritual work we have to do, and we need to do both. And that's really the topic for today. Um, That's really the topic for today. So a lot of the structure of this class is going to be based on um, a shear. This over here, a shear from Rabbi Leff. This is not from the book by Rabbi Leff, but a shear from him that I heard online about rain. Um, and I found that it was very helpful in explaining how all of these pieces fit together serving as a kind of a overall structure for understanding what is this, what is this uh, relationship between man and rain and the earth and why they all sort of sprout 
together. Um, and also understanding why the concept of the rain would be so completely intertwined with the concept of triasamesim, of revival of the dead. Why do the, these two things, they're almost like interchangeable over here. Are they somehow running together? Okay. So what Rav Lef said was he quoted a chazal. Well, he mentioned that there are many chazals where, for example, that a rainy day is as great as the day the Torah was given, and that rain is like geula, and that the day of rain is greater than trias hamesim. And he asked, he, I love, you know, this, I love the question to start off with. He said, not why those things. I mean, he kind of addresses it, but not why those things. He says, why are Chazal giving a spiritual significance to rain at all? Which is so interesting, right? Why see it? Now, when you ask that, then I think you have to say, and this, this is now from Rabbi Leff's book on tefillah, he goes and he translates Someich Noflim, Verofe Cholim, Umatir Asurim, that Hashem supports the fallen and heals the sick and releases the bound. He gives spiritual translations for them as well. I'm not sure based on where, but he says like this Mechalkel Chaim Bechesed, he provides with Chesed for all life, all their nutrition, Mechaim Mesim Barachim Ravim, and revives the dead. He catches those who are falling, those who are in danger of falling into sin, and provides them with divine assistance to sustain them and prevent them from falling. And healing the sick. He heals those who have fallen into sin. So now it becomes a series. It's not just three cases of need. It's Somech Noflim is the first part, the danger of falling. Hashem will give help that you shouldn't fall. What if someone has fallen? Then what they've done is made their soul sick with spiritual sickness from their sin. Their soul isn't strong the way it was. Then rofecholim, Hashem heals them. And matir asurim, those who have become bound up and tied up by the habits of sinning, they've done it over and over again. Now it's really hard to get free of that. They're addicted to their sins. Hashem frees them from that bond. So again, you have this case where you're saying you're giving, you're giving something that sounds physical, a beautiful spiritual interpretation, but why would you go there at all? Why not just explain it physically? Now, I think one reason is because what you get here is this becomes now a flow, a series that makes sense. It's three different stages in the path of sinning and God stands ready to help those who, who call for the help and want the help. And in all of these cases, Hashem helps a person to conquer their Yetzirah and to undo the negative circumstances they have brought themselves. He doesn't ignore the sin, but he offers to help you correct it. And that gets back to many times we've spoken about Kavura and Kapara and how it might not be comfortable, but it's the biggest chesed of all to help us correct what we've done. Okay, so he says, why are these three things given spiritual significance? So based on this, he quotes another medrash, which I think I actually did find. Yeah, that's over here. So this is in the medrash Rabbah on Bereshis. Sorry, I printed out a whole bunch of it, but it wasn't, wasn't really all of it that I needed. Okay, here. 
the the Medrash Rabban Bracious, I don't know if this is exactly the source that he was looking at because um, it doesn't exactly match what he said, but just about. So there may be another source that's similar. That, that happens with the Medrash. Okay, this Medrash that I found quotes Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, there are three things that are shkulin ze three things that are equal to each other, but it also kind of means they counterbalance each other. Like, so whereas you might have a scale and you put a weight on one side of the scale, it will go down. And if you put a counterweight that matches the weight, they'll be balanced and they'll be in, in balance and in harmony. So now just imagine that it's a three-way scale. So there are three things that are equally weighted, but they are, it's more than that they're equally weighted. They're interdependent. So if they're all three matched up, then everything is in balance and in sync. The three things are Adam, Adama, and, Mat and Matar. The land, the, pers the human being, and rain. Okay, now he says, really, each of these things has a second name that's not secondary. You could use either one. You have Adam and Ish, a man or a man. <laughs> you can have Adama or Eretz. There's a lot of different explanations when you use Adama and when you use Eretz, but okay. And Matar and Geshem. Matar means rain and Geshem means rain. So what is it that's, he says, if we look at these three things that are equal to one, equally important and equally uh, in balance with one another, and which are interdependent, they depend upon one another, and we notice that each of these also has another name, it, what is the reason for the two names? What's the distinction? And it comes out that the distinction is the same which teaches us something in common about these three things and helps us understand why they are interdependent. So Adama versus Eretz. He says Adama is land in a raw state. It's undeveloped. It's earth, but it hasn't been, the land hasn't been broken, the rocks haven't been cleared, the earth hasn't been softened up, nothing has grown out of it. Um, Eretz is developed and perfected. That's why it's the word ratzon, that it's in a state of as God's will, as God wills it. So we learned uh, several times now, we've come across the Ramban at the beginning of Bereshis, where he talks about Vayar Elohim Kitov, when God sees that something is good, that means he sees it in the state that he desires it to be, that he created it to be that way. And one thing we learned is that things are not necessarily, they don't start off created the way God intends them to become, they grow into the way he intends them to become. Okay. So when Adama has evolved into the state where God wants it, that would be called Eretz. That's a, like Ratzon. That's the way he desires it. <laughs> Rabbi Leff interjected here. He said, that's why the bracha on vegetables is bore pri ha'adama, but the bracha on bread, it's hamotzi lecha min ha'aretz. Why? Because vegetables, you pretty much just eat them as they are. And you take a carrot out of the ground, you eat it. There's no processing required for a carrot. If you want, you can you know, certainly wash it and you, you could peel it, but you don't need to peel it. You can just eat it. Right? Vegetables are adama. They are a product of land that is unprocessed and undeveloped. 
Whereas bread requires a whole process, right? You don't say hamotzi lechamin haaretz on wheat or on baked wheat or puffed wheat. It's only if you've done processing and man has worked on it and gotten it to a, a new state that it becomes, and then it's hamotzi lechamin haaretz because it's reached a new state. So there's this sort of, it's the fruit of the land, but it's the fruit of the land that has been cultivated and developed and worked on. He says there's the same difference between Adam and Ish. Adam is like Adama. It means a human being, but raw and undeveloped. The purpose of the person is to develop into an Ish, someone who's masterful, someone who has some control over himself. He says, by the way, when a woman was created, another one of these wonderful interjections, he says, when, when a woman is created, Adam says, I'm going to call her Isha. Remember, he names all the animals, and then Hashem makes him fall asleep and takes the rib, and he turns it into a woman. And Adam says, oh, this one we'll call Isha, Kimeish Lukacha, because she was taken from an Ish. He didn't call her Adama. I mean, that would have been funny because it means like the ground. You know, Adam, Adama, that's what it should be, right? Or Ademet, which is funnier because that's German measles. But, because you know, <laughs> it means like all red. But, you know, like he didn't give her a name that was a feminine version of Adam. Why not? Because Adam had already been, started to be perfected. He was actually in quite a perfect state by then. It, things got worse. <laughs> but, right, he was created. He already had a soul blown into him. He had gone through a process of naming the animals. So the woman was taken from an Ish, not from an Adam. So her name is not based on Adam. Her name is based on Ish already because she was created from a more perfected level. And with Geshem, there is Geshem, which means Lehit Gashem, means to become materialized. Gashmius is physicality. Geshem, then, is when rain falls out of the clouds as droplets. That's, that's the word Geshem. Matar, which is a different name for rain, like Vesein Talu Matar Livracha. Matar, the word Matar is like the word Matara, target. So Matar is when the rain hits the ground. It's, it's not that it's two different, I mean, it is two different phases of rain. Both of them mean rain. But the word Geshem points you toward the aspect of rain in that it falls. And the name Matar points you to the aspect of rain in that it hits the ground. In other words, one is rain, but not yet fulfilled. <laughs> it's just falling. Matar is that it hits the ground and achieves a target. It achieves an objective. So when we praise Hashem, he, again, one of these amazing interjections, although here it's relevant specifically to how we understand the bracha. In this bracha, we say, Mashiv haruach omorid hagoshem, that God sends the, the winds and brings down rain. You hear that? It's the bringing down, it's not the hitting, right? That's because this blessing is praise. So we're praising Hashem because that's the, the real, the power of sending the rain. When we ask for rain, remember we talked about this, Mrs. Khan, that the beginning of, the ble- of Shemona Esrei, we're praising Hashem, and later on, we're asking for things. So when we ask for rain, we say, and please give the same tal umatar livracha. Please send matar, which is rain hitting the ground. 
Because what we're asking for is not that he should send rain from on high and, I don't know, like, it's so hot that it dries up before it hits the ground, right? What we're asking for is rain that hits the ground and penetrates it and gets into the plants and softens the earth and works its way down into the water table. What we need is rain that hits the ground, regardless of what's happening up there. But in praising God, we praise him for where he creates it up there. Okay. Which means then that these three things that the Medrash said depend upon each other and are equally balanced and important. Mankind, rain, and the earth. Each one of them is described in two ways. One representing its creation point and one representing its development point. All right. Which leads us to a Medrash, a different Medrash. Um, let's stick that in here. Which says as follows. Okay, so if you want to look at it in here, you can. This isn't what I meant to use it for. I'll use this one so I'm on the same one as you, because it's not quite the same printout. Really, I was going to do more than this, but not yet. So right now, I'm just doing this paragraph, which is on the back of the first page. It's page two. And it starts with the bold, Vikuach Turnus Rufus Varabi Akiva, is in bold there. So I'm just going to read that paragraph until it says Ad Khan, which means until here. Yeah, okay. This is the Medrash Tanhuma on Parshas Tazria. Sha'al Turnus Rufus Harasha. Turnus Rufus the Wicked asked. Turnus Rufus was, I think, a, the, a Roman general who was maybe the governor of Israel or something like that. And the person he asked, it doesn't say, it just says he asked, but he was asking Rabbi Akiva a question. Now, he's not really asking a question. He's posing a challenge. <laughs> and his question was, which deeds are nicer? What's better? The Holy One, blessed be he, or human beings? Whose deeds are better? You've probably heard this before. It comes up in Shiorim pretty regularly. Amarlo, Rabbi Akiva answered him, the acts of human beings are better, are nicer, more beautiful than the, act, than the deeds of Hashem. Amar lo Tornus Rufus HaRasha. Tornus Rufus, the wicked, replied, Did you ever notice there's a heavens and an earth and a, a universe out there? Can any person do anything comparable? And Rabbi Akiva, Amar lo Rabbi Akiva, I don't think that the relevant part of this conversation is to talk about things that are beyond human beings and they have no control over. Because then what's the meaning of your question? You wanted to know what's better, the actions of a person or the actions of Hashem. So we have to be comparing something where people have some degree of dominion. You can't ask me about creating stars because that's irrelevant to a person. They can't do that at all. So how can you compare it? 
Let's talk about things that are relevant to people. Amarlo. So then Tornus Rufus says, okay, I'll give you a different example, not the cosmos. Lama temulim. Why do you circumcise your babies? Amarlo. Rabbi Akiva said, I knew that's what you were really asking me about, right? Because the Greeks and Romans were very, right? The worship of the human body. The, we mentioned last week, I think, the idea that they, their whole concept of the pantheon of gods was gods but who are subjected to other forces greater than them. Right? Oh, that was, no, it was uh, on Parsha's Korach. and the Parsha we talked about this and how Rav Hirsch said that one of the things that we had to learn coming out of Egypt was that God is greater than nature. Right? That actually is very relevant to this point. Let's see. Maybe I'll uh, turn the page to that for a second. That was in Parsha's Chukas. Um, actually, I'm not sure it was in Parsha's Chukas. He might have said it in Shemos. It was about the first time that Moshe hit the rock. We just brought it up because we were talking about the second time he hit the rock at the end of Parsha's Bishalach. So Rav Hirsch said that we had to learn a lesson. The Jewish people knew that God was powerful because he had taken them out of Egypt and brought them across the Red Sea. This is Rav Hirsch's commentary on Parshas B'Shalach, Perak Yud Zayin, Pasuk Zayin. However, they had general ideas about the relationship between nature, God, and man that were not true, that were influenced by having been in Egypt where they had all these gods that they believed in, and they thought that nature and its laws were so completely absolute and above any other power that even the gods themselves were bound by some of these laws of nature, right? And that was true of the Greeks and Romans as well. And man was powerless under the double ban of the blind power of nature and the gods. So man has just got it worse because he's got two levels of control going over him. And that what we needed to learn through the process of the hitting of the rock the first time and over 40 years in the desert leading to speaking to a rock the second time what we were learning was to get firmly established in our minds through all of the experiences of our reality and our history that nature was created by a completely free almighty God who retains mastery over it. This is really the principles of this bracha, that God is all-conquering and almighty, right? That God is completely free and has unlimited power to govern the world. He didn't just create it, but he rules it and does rule it actively. And that man was created by this perfectly free creator as a personality with completely free will of his own. And who is given, okay, that's, that's astonishing. Um, I'm actually going to, I don't know if it's based on this Maharal that I brought or not, but <laughs> it's very much this idea. Who is given by the free creator the mission of raising himself above the forces of nature, which then stand below him and by his own free will, subjecting his will to that of God. Okay, so this actually is kind of important. Let me add this in. This is Rav Hirsch on Shmos Yid Zion Zion. Okay, very important to come back and get that back in the notes. Okay, so Tornus Rufus says, 
Why are you circumcised? In other words, isn't nature the highest power of all? So the natural forms and going out into nature, I mean, we know how lovely that is, right? So why would you want to influence it? I think most people couldn't, can easily buy in to an argument that nature is so much better than that, which is manufactured. And that's kind of what Tornus Rufus came in with. He said, what's better, the way God creates things or the way people create things? Rabbi Kiva said the way people create things. He says, what about the cosmos? He says, I'm not sure that that's relevant to our conversation. People can't create a cosmos. Okay. So he says, okay, so how come you have a circumcision? Rabbi Kiva says, I knew that's what you were really asking me. <laughs> Therefore, I, I, jumped, I beat you to it. And I, answered, I anticipated what you were really asking. And I told you, that the deeds of people, not in Mishal HaKadosh Baruch Hu, are really more pleasant than the deeds of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Is the door open? Get it? Okay. So he says, I really knew that that's what you were asking, and that's why I answered the way I did, so that you wouldn't snap me up, you know, and say, ha-ha, therefore, why do you? Okay. Hevi Rabbi Akiva shibalim vegluskos. Rabbi Akiva brought some kernels of wheat, or some, maybe some heads of wheat, and some bread. Amr lo Turnus Rufus Harasha. And Turnus Rufus the wicked said, it's funny how the Medrash keeps insisting that he's the wicked Turnus Rufus. <laughs> he had a wife named Rufina, who after Turnus Rufus died, converted and married Rabbi Akiva after his wife died. So they have a very interesting relationship. <laughs> but anyway, Turnus Rufus the wicked said, Im HaKadosh Baruch Hu rotsa b'mila. If God wanted people to be circumcised, lama eno yotze havalud mahumi me'eimo, then why aren't fetuses born already circumcised from birth, from the insides of the mother? Amar lo Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva answered him, v'lama tiburo yotze imo. Why does his, tiburo is like his belly button, why does his umbilical cord come out with him, and it's still attached to his stomach, so the placenta comes out with the umbilical cord all attached to the baby. There are some babies where the placenta is as big as the kid, right? And his mother has to cut him free. I mean, nowadays, usually the doctor does that, but like, I guess when you delivered your baby at home, so there it was. So you had to cut off the, you right? You cut the cord. Why does the mother have to cut the cord? Now, this is interesting because what he's done is turn it around to something that is not a commandment. And yet, which Tornus Rufus can recognize that the way the child is born is not the way it needs to stay. Okay? Umasha ta'omer, which is also part of this conversation. Because if you worship the way people are naturally, then you don't, the, the, the logical conclusion of that line of thinking is don't try and change anybody. And nobody should try and change themselves, right? Free education, sort of schoolless schooling, they'll run free, right? We won't teach them. Now, some kids might learn better that way, <laughs> right? But that's okay if the goal, maybe if your goal is to actually educate the child, but you think they'll learn that way. But to just say, well, we won't educate anybody, right? We won't dress them. We won't, don't touch them. And that will be the most wonderful, romantic, perfect kind of person, right? Running around still with his placenta when he's 32, hanging off. I don't know. <laughs> so the, the fact that you're asking, why doesn't he come out circumcised? Shalom Nasan HaKadosh Baruch Hu 
It's because God gave the mitzvos in order that mankind can be joined in with them. Hashem gave us mitzvos as a gift to allow us to participate in creation. Okay, so the Maharal explains this beautifully, this whole passage, but I want to first come back to what, um, to Rabbi Leff's shear. Okay. The principle that Rabbi Akiva taught over here was Hashem made the world a raw world and he wants us to perfect it. So the world is Adama and becomes Eretz and man is Adam and becomes Ish or Isha. And in the, which means that the process of developing the land is also the process of developing ourselves which is helpful to understanding why, from the beginning, man is described as having a purpose to work the earth, right? Because working the earth develops ourselves. There's a problem, meaning why not then have it just, there's Adam and Adama, and those two things are balanced and interdependent. Where does the rain come in? So the rain comes in because there's a danger, The danger, actually, now that I think about it, the danger is expressed on multiple levels. You have Parshas Bracious, you have the creation of man. You have Parshas Noah, there's a lot of rain. <laughs> okay? Um, because the people didn't need to really work the land. I don't know if you remember this, the Medrash talks about how it rained almost never, and stuff just sort of grew. Everything just came up. So the people didn't have to work. So that was a disaster. So it kind of, I guess it kind of fits in that the tool for destroying that society was rain because these three things all work together. We still don't understand the role of the rain, but when they weren't working, they weren't developing themselves, they weren't developing the land, and then Hashem wiped it out. Now what happens at the end of Parshas Noah? There's another generation that has another problem. They work too much, or they put too much value in it. That's the Dor HaFlaga, the generation of the dispersal, also known as the Tower of Babel. Right? So let me just find that. Okay. Vayihi Chol Ha'aretz, I'm reading from Parshas Noach Perak Yud Aleph. The whole land was one language. It's interesting. Over here, it's Aretz. They're developing fine. Themselves and the land. This is what happens if those two things are working fine, but the rain is left out. Okay? And one united purpose. And it was when they traveled eastward, um, traveled from the east. They discovered a valley in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. Interesting, here they're in Ish too. I think this is maybe a new, a new reading of this <laughs> section in light of what Rabbi Leff said, right? Is here, we've got the Ish and we've got the Aretz. Each person said to his colleague, Hava nil 
let's make bricks. Venisrefa lesrefa and fire them. Vatihilohem halavena leoven. And the bricks will be stone, like they'll get as hard as stone when we fire them. The hachemar hayalahem lachomer. And we'll make mud and it'll become cement. Vayomru. And furthermore, they said, Havanivnilanu ir. Let's build a city. Umigdal, and a tower, and its head will reach the heavens and will become very famous, lest we be scattered all over the land. Now, <laughs> Rav, Rav Love asks an awesome question. These are people who are focused and hardworking. They have a clear objective. And yet, if you look at how they state the objective, the first thing they do is get all excited about making bricks. What it should have said was, let's build a city and a tower. And then following that, how will we do that? I know, we'll make bricks. It doesn't say that. It says, let's make bricks. And they'll be as strong as stone. And then afterwards, it was like, OK, so what are we going to do with all those bricks? We could build a city. <laughs> now that we have this huge inventory of bricks, we'll build a city. Like, what's? OK. The danger is right here. This is the classic case of it. They were working the earth, and they even were seeking to improve it. They said, you know, there's such a thing as stones. You can build with stones. But we could, we could invent a new technology. We could design a new kind of man-made stone that would be better than natural stone because it would be all of a regular shape and size. So you could build a whole new kind of building with it. Now, is that bad? That's actually not bad. That desire to improve on what is there in nature, that's good. That's the ish and the arets that, that are over here. The problem is we'll improve on it and we won't need God. That's what they said. They said, lest God scatter us out, right? Okay. In fact, it says God came to see what they were doing, and all of a sudden they're b'nei ha'adam. They're no longer ish. They've, like, <laughs> fallen here. And Hashem said, heinam echad. They are a united people. Safa achas lechulam, with one language amongst them all. Vezeh hachilam lasos. And this is what they started doing? What a pity, right? But this word, hachilam, that they have begun, like tehila, begun, is also the word chol, uh, desecrated. Ze hachilam lasos. They have desecrated the lasos, the doing. Okay, what's the doing? The doing is what was referred to in Bereshis. God created the world. On the seventh day, he rested from all of his work, which God created to do. Now, that's a very odd statement. We're just used to it. We hear it every week. Which God created to do. He created the world in order for people to do something with it. They have desecrated the doing. Look what they've done with the job I gave them. What they've done is said, we can get stronger than God. We won't need him. 
anything out. Okay. So the danger of this gift that God has created man and the earth, both undeveloped, and the job of man is to develop the earth and in doing so to develop himself. The danger is gaiva, is pride, is thinking, oh, look what I can do. Almost like what Rabbi Akiva said, my work is better than God's work. Only Rabbi Akiva doesn't quite mean it this way, which is why he ends by saying, Hashem gave us mitzvos in order to allow us to participate. So the God awareness is there. It's the losing that. The thinking will get carried away with the technology, get carried away with the new ideas and the new inventions and the power. People start to think that with enough time or money or will, they can do anything. And this is the message of our society. If you really want it, you can do it. Well, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, maybe I wouldn't want to discourage you from aiming for it. I'm sure it's a productive endeavor, right? But do, really? You can do anything? I don't know. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you try and you can't do it. My grandmother once told me that she had, uh, she had a good friend whose daughter had severe, severe mental illness. Really dangerous and disturbing and upsetting behavior. And my grandmother said that until she got familiar with this daughter of her friend, she thought that with enough, enough time that if the smartest people thought about any problem, they could solve it. If, they, if you gave them time and if they paid attention to the problem, it could be solved. And this was the first time, good morning, that she realized that there were things that people did not necessarily have the power to solve. Okay, that's the thing that we need to remember. And that's why the Dor HaFlaga was more focused on the building of the bricks and turning them into stones. The tower was almost secondary. The tower was, okay, what can we do? Look how, okay. So there's a third piece to the system. There's the earth, there's the people, and there's rain. And all three of them are equally important and interdependent in the system. The earth requires rain. It's not enough for people to plow and to remove the stones and to stick the little seeds in and to hoe and, and harvest. If there's no rain, the earth won't be softened and it won't be able to take care of the plants and allow them to sprout and grow. That was what happened before Adam came along. There was no rain and everything just stood at the surface. Okay. Man also is completely dependent on rain. We have to have water. We can't live without it. Okay. Which means that since we don't have the key to rain, that's one of the things that God keeps the key of for himself. We always have a, an ingredient that reminds us that we're dependent on Hashem. And that is supposed to be the cure, the therapy, for the risk of allowing people to have a role in developing themselves and the world. Hashem gave us this gift. He wants us to develop ourselves in the world. But he also put a little safety valve in, not so little, called rain, 
And the rain demands that we recognize that in fact, we are helpless. We are dependent on Hashem. And this really explains the shear from last week. Why were man and the vegetation of the earth, the fruit of the earth, both activated at once by rain, by the need for rain? This is all, all together. This is actually a system. It's a three-way system, and it's meant to work there. And this bracha reminds us that he gives us everything, and he gives us power to do things and choose things, but we are dependent on him. This is the bracha of God's all-conquering might. Okay, so I thought... Okay, that... we could look at this Maharal more deeply, how he explains this Medrash and what he learns from it about Rabbi Akiva. So I'm going to start at the top. Could be we won't read the whole Medrash again when we get to it. Okay, so this is what he says. This is the book Teferis Yisrael. So there's a typo on mine. Okay, Perak Beis. Same typo up there. Okay, Hisbar Lecha. כי הפעולות האלוקיות שהם מצוות התורה הם ראויים לאדם לפי מדרגת נפשו האלוקית שהיא בקרבו. The basic premise here that he's going to discuss is that the activities, the divine activities that a person engages in, meaning Torah and mitzvot, are worthy of a person based on the level of his divine soul that is placed inside of him. That's the concept. These activities, the divine activities that people engage in, Torah and mitzvahs, are hashlamas ha'adam, the perfection of the person, the perfecting of the person. Lahashlim is to fill in what's missing. They fill him in and make him as perfected until he becomes the creation which God desires him to be. Right? That's, uh, this is why we need all this background. So it, it's much easier to understand now. This concept that Hashem creates us undeveloped, but his ratzon, his will, is when we become <clears throat> that which he created us to be. And that is through Torah and mitzvot. And I will explain this at greater length for Ezra Hashem, who gives the Torah. In this chapter, I will explain only the general idea in brief. That man, who is the handmade creation, it's a, it's an, a term of affection, of God, uh, everything is God's handmade creation, but you know, formed by God's hand. It was a kind of a loving description of God. Mivchar hatachtonim. Man who is the choicest, the best, the peak of all the lower creations. Chaser is lacking. He's not perfect. God created man and yet created him imperfect. With the goal that he will fill in the imperfections and perfect himself through his own actions. 
And it is through mitzvot and Torah that a person will strive and toil to reach this perfection. And it is only because he has a divine spirit within him that has been prepared for this task by God. So the way that he's achieving his perfection of what's missing is not through natural means. It's achieved through the living soul that God breathed into him. This is something divine. It's supernatural. The way a person perfects himself is not through physical tasks. It's through Torah and mitzvot. Mitzvot might be a physical expression of something spiritual, but it's something supernatural. These are things which are above nature. This is explained in many places. They are a higher level than nature. They are supernatural. In the Perak of Tehillim 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. So it starts by describing nature, and then the parak suddenly seems to make a right turn and says, the Torah of God is perfect and complete. Ad Sof and continues in that new vein until the end of the chapter of Tehillim. There are seven verses from the beginning of the chapter until it starts talking about Torah. So seven verses talking about nature. And after that, Hashem's Torah is perfect. Because the behavior of nature was created during the seven days of creation. But Torah is above all nature. It is the level we know of in our world as eight. Okay, the Torah was created before nature. Says the Torah preceded nature by 2,000 generations, whatever that means, right? But because that's the beginning point, but within the physical world that we live in, Torah is eight. Torah comes after all the days of creation, it is a higher level. The Alpitamze, Mizmor Ashrei, Tmime Darach, that's also the reason why in Tehillim Kufyutes, which is that really, 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 really long one that goes according to the Aleph base, Ashrei, Tmime Darach, fortunate are those who are complete and whole on the way. Shehu said ala Torah. It's talking about those who follow the Torah. Kesh shmona alphabeta. It's alphabetical order with eight verses for each letter of the alphabet. It's eight because it's talking about achieving the perfection of Torah, which is a perfection of eight. Shatorhi madrega shminis. Torah is corresponds to the level of eightness, shehi al which is supernatural, shenivra b'shevas yimei bracious, because nature is created during the seven days. Therefore, this is, a lot of these are ideas from Maharal that have become well known. But the way he himself teaches it over, and especially in this context, really, okay, that's why I'm reading it, even though many of the ideas we've heard, but somehow there's a wholeness here that's different. Therefore, anything that is above nature or, and is a repair or a correction of what is missing in nature is called after seven. It's, it's beyond seven. That's why bris is on the eighth day. 
Now we're starting to see why he's going to talk about Rabbi Akiva and Tornus Rufus. Because that's really the conversation they're having. Why do you have a circumcision? Because the deeds of man are somehow even greater than the deeds of Hashem. That doesn't mean we actually think we're more powerful than God. We don't. Rain keeps us on, <laughs> on target with that, right? It's that in this world, God created the world imperfect and gave us, he created us to have the job of working toward perfecting it. And that is a level of eight, which is supernatural. It's also this idea of achieving what is God's will for how things were created to become. That's God's, that is God's creation and our being allowed to participate in it. Okay, so that is more beautiful, if not to us, than at least to God. That's his value that Rabbi Akiva is really talking about. Because a person naturally is born with the orla, that's the skin that's removed in the brismila, which is chisus hateva, something less in nature, and the brismila repairs the nature, it perfects it. And this repair is on the eighth day, because that comes after the seven and that is the level of eight and supernatural. Umeata, from this, teda, you will now know. Ki ha mitzvah shehem pe'ulos ha'elokiyos vehem maise ha'adam that mitzvos, which are divine activities, and yet they are also the deeds of man, at the same time, you do a mitzvah, you're, you're performing an act of a human being that's physical, and at the same time you're performing a divine action, because God commanded it. And you're using your divine soul to choose it. Through doing these divine mitzvos, a person reaches a level that is supernatural. Himself, he perfects himself. This is the idea of through perfecting the world, we perfect ourselves. And that is eminently suitable. Because the actions of a person when they are an expression of the fact that he has an intellect, which here means that he has free will, that is an act that is supernatural. Because nature only leads to physical power and not to the intellectual power to choose something that is in contradiction to the physical. So if you physically want to eat something and you say, no, today's Yom Kippur, I'm not eating it, that choice or the opposite, to do something. I'm tired, I just want to sit, I don't want to do anything. Well, I'm going to get up and I'm going to get a sitter, right? Or I'm going to sit up and say Shema. Even though I'm very tired, I'm about to go to sleep, oh, I forgot to say Shema. Oh, but I'm so tired. No, I'm going to say Shema. That is using your, your intellect and your free will to choose something beyond what's natural. And then a person becomes supernatural. Okay, I'm skipping a little bit. And I'm going to skip the conversation of Rabbi Akiva and Tornus Rufus since we already read it inside. And now I'm going to explain his explanation of the conversation between Tornus Rufus and Rabbi Akiva. So the explanation is that Tornus Rufus was thinking that the deeds of a person are less than the acts of nature because nature is divine action. God created a mountain. So how could it be better if you sculpt faces into it? To give a very bad example. Lakach <laughs> Amar, that's why he gave as an example, Mila, Brismila. 
which is where the mila is less than the orla, than the foreskin, which is the natural way that God created the people, and the mila is the act of a person, improving on it. And Rabbi Akiva answered him that it's not true. His understanding is wrong. The acts of deeds, in that they are the acts, it, that's the acts of deeds, the acts of mankind, not just because man does them, but when man acts as a thinking, choosing creation, are on a level that is supernatural. Choosing is supernatural. Because nature is purely physical. And just like he demonstrated to him with the wheat, which is the way nature, with the way God provided wheat in nature, which is missing something until man perfects it by grinding it and kneading it and rising it with yeast and baking it. And from this, he could see a visual example that that the use of a person's mind and choice is something that is supernatural and is an improvement. And he continued to ask, well, if so, said Tornus Rufa, um, sorry, said Rabbi Akiva, oh, sorry, Tornus Rufus went on to ask, why isn't a child born with a Mila, if that's better? So why doesn't God create everything perfect? You should make it perfect especially in the case with the orla where it's something undesirable. So it's one thing to say you take the wheat. You know, the wheat is, is actually useful the way it is. It does have nutritious value. You could cook it. <laughs> but the orla, it's really better without the orla, the human being. Because he was still thinking that the acts of people, maybe they're an improvement when something was created lacking missing something. It would be better if it had something else. But if God wanted it to be a Mila, why would he add more that then needs to be removed? It's a different, it's like sort of the opposite direction. And for that, the wheat is not a sufficient answer because the wheat doesn't have to be removed, right? It's just that it becomes better. So it doesn't tell you that the natural thing is missing anything. And to this, Rabbi Akiva replied that the act of nature are all still, they're all missing. Just like you see that even if you don't discuss brismila, look at the baby. The baby is born with something that needs to be removed. It's got this whole umbilical cord and placenta attached that it can't survive walking around like that. It'll get infected. And the mother has to cut it off. You see from this that nature, by nature, is imperfect. It always requires work. If so, then we don't have a question anymore about why a baby is born with an orla, because it's the same thing as being born with an umbilical cord and placenta. Anything in nature is imperfect. It will always be lacking in some way or need repair in some way. That is the nature of nature. That's how God made it. If it were not that way, then there would be no capacity for change in nature. Because things which are perfect 
do not change. We, this is something that we referred to, as I mentioned before, back in Parshas Korach. Okay? Rav Hirsch put it like this. He said, Korach was confusing the fact that people can become holy with the idea that they just already are holy. And Korach said that, the, in this case, he's talking about the Jewish nation specifically. The principle is the same principle, that we are dedicated to God, but we are not at the level of total holiness yet. And we always have to work ourselves closer and closer to Hashem. And that's represented in the Beis HaMikdash by having the outer courtyard, the inner courtyard, the Heichal, the Holy, and the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, you can't go in. What does that tell you? That tells you there's always room to move closer. You never got there. You never got all the way there. You always have room to improve so long as you are in this world. That's a person as a changing person. And the world as a changing place, that the physical world is always changing. Okay. And that this is our job in this world is to be constantly moving toward improvement and perfection more and more. It's not, we don't expect to actually get to it. That's okay. We're getting as close as we can. And someday, as a Hashem, there's a level of perfection, but that's not in this world. Okay. Now, you should not say that, God forbid, Hashem created the world, like, by mistake. <laughs> the fact that the world is imperfect is not an error or a weakness on God's part, God forbid. It isn't like that. It's all through God's wisdom. It is proper. It is suited for the world. It is... It, it's natural. The, the natural state of the world, because of the identity of what world means, is that it exists, but it's always missing in some way. It is not perfect, especially people. <laughs> but people have this nature of having the ability to think and choose, and that is the supernatural power. If we look on our four-level table, which I don't have a copy of right here, I don't think, it sits just over the line, right? We had the, the level of the emotional state and we have the level of our physical state. Those are in the world of nature. But our intellectual state, which is like at the level of Kriyashma, that's in the supernatural zone. We had that with um, Yosef. When Yosef chose to run away from the wife of Potiphar, it says he fled outside, right? And the word fled is also like nes, vayonas, right? He, he, he fled out like he... Woo, he went right out of this world through that choice, okay? Because that intellect is supernatural and a person, So a person always has to work on getting his parnasa, for example. He has to grind the wheat and he has to cut the umbilical cord and he has to perform a bris milah. That these are all not sign, they're, they're the imperfection of the world, but they're also the perfection of the world. Is that man was here in order to work on it, and in doing so, to develop himself and become the person he is created to be. And he furthermore explained to him the mitzvah that a person, that Hashem created, commanded to a person, 
is because Hashem is doing us the ultimate chesed, which is litzarev, to include us, to, to make us partners. He's including us in the process of creation. That's, that's what was hinted to. Asher bara elokim lasos. God created the world to do, for people to be able to do. Ki mitzad po'el Hashem yisbarach ein mila. Vezeo mitzad habriya Hashem yisbarach bara hakol al yedei hateva. Ulefi hateva roi ha'or l'rak shenasana kadosh baruch hu ha'mila la'adam. Shiyat siraf la'adam ad shiyat bilti tiv'i. The Mila is an example of a case where God created the world one way and then gave us a commandment that allows us to perfect it. And when we do it because it's a mitzvah, that is a combining of a person in a supernatural way to making this baby in the creation as Hashem wished it to be. And so we become a partner in creation, so to speak. And that's in every level, not only with Mila. If a person would be born already perfect in body, for example, then there would be no participation. All people would be like that. And, the, and that would not allow room for us to participate. So all the mitzvos that Hashem gave us are an inclusion. They are including us. He doesn't need us to do anything. He can do it all and does do it all. It's an opportunity that a person through his actions and through his deeds, can be a person who is behaving supernaturally. By changing the world, we change ourselves. And then a person's actions are something different than what an animal is doing. Because an animal is not using free will to do them. Mitzad hateva, naturally speaking, a person looks like an animal. It's... You know, a mammal. But every person has the ability to be something more than that. And in particular, the nation that Hashem chose, who has been given more mitzvos, so we have even more opportunities to be participants and to perfect ourselves. Okay, so I will stop there. <laughs> um, and Emir Hashem will talk about there's a few other outcomes from this that help us understand the, why Trias HaMesim then becomes the result of this way of thinking. When we see all of this as a description of how Hashem created the world, always with an imperfection. So mech noflim, cholim. We're followers, we're sick, we're bound. There's always this imperfection built in. And yet what that is, is the opportunity for us to realize, like the rain, we have a job to do, and in doing that we become stronger, but we always remember we're really dependent on Hashem. It's really up to Him. It's from His hand is everything, from your hand is everything, and we're giving you from your own hand, right? When we realize that, all of it together, that is really the, the thought behind this, and that will tie us to the idea of the Tchiyas HaMesim as well. So, Emirates Hashem. I guess that's next. Yeah, that's next week.